Leadership is a responsibility, not a position. Welcome to Leading from the Front with Dr. Gary McGrath, where experienced leaders share their own brand of leadership to help you develop and improve your own leadership capabilities. And now, here's your host, Dr. Gary. I'm Dr. Gary, making good bosses into great leaders with compassionate accountability. Welcome again to Leading from the Front, where leadership is a responsibility, not a position. And today's guest, this is a special program today because we're going to be talking about self-leadership. And you'll understand why in just a moment, because today's guest is a motivational speaker and coach on a national level with over 10 years of experience in those areas. She earned a BS in communications and broadcast journalism from Ithaca College. She emphasizes empowerment and helps people understand that they can advocate for themselves, especially in medical situations. She is living with metastatic stage four cancer and gets chemo monthly. She wants women to know that they should stand their ground, believe in themselves and trust their gut feeling, whether it's about people, health issues, or other concerns. She enjoys traveling, cooking, and her family, and I'm guessing maybe cooking for her family, and was just named by Power Magazine as a woman of distinction. Her book, which is coming out right now, is titled, I Am the One. Hers is a story of determination, self-responsibility, and grit. Please welcome Vicki Zarkin. Hi, Vicki. Hi, how are you doing? I am excited to have you on here, you being the one and your new book that's coming out for a reason. People have to hear about your journey and why you're talking to people about what you're talking about today. So fire away. I'm going to turn it over to you to hear about why you're the one. (laughs) I'm the one because I have sort of a, a unique story that involves the name. When I was you know, I had gone to uh, Johns Hopkins to get my testing and so forth to see what type of cancer and, and how long and how much and so forth. Once I was done with all those tests, I was told that I was going to meet with the top oncologist in all of Johns Hopkins. And so what my husband, my mother and I, we were funneled into this very small operatory room, uh, you know, medical operatory. And so in walks the doctor and he starts talking and talking and talking. And it was, for me, it was like I was that a student in the one of the Peanuts cartoons. And he was just wah, 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 wah. That's all I heard. And then all of a sudden he stopped talking and my brain snapped into attention because I reversed and played in my head what he was saying. And what he said to me was, I'm very sorry. I've consulted with all the finest colleagues here at Johns Hopkins, and we all agree there's nothing that we can do for you. You need to go home and get your affairs in order. Mm. And I snapped the Vicky that I was when I walked into the room that day, died right then and there. And I know that sounds strange, but that's exactly what happened. And the Vicky you're talking to today emerged. And I lunged across the room and grabbed the doctor by the shirt collar and pulled him in really close. 
So I needed him to look at me, to see me as a person. And I said to him, you talk about you consulting with all these colleagues and you never asked me. You never asked me what I wanted. And I don't care what you cut off, what you stick in me. I don't care what you do to me. I'm a mom and I'm going to be the one. I'm the one. I'm going to make it. And then I realized my hands were around somebody's neck and I was like a little shocked. And so I backed up thinking, oh my God, he's going to call security. (laughs) And the room was dead silent. Just silent. And it seemed like forever, but it was just a couple seconds. And he looked up then at me, looked at me for the first time. And he said, okay, I'm not promising anything, but how about we start with chemotherapy? And he named the type that, you know, he would choose for me. And then he said, is that okay with you? (laughs) (laughs) he he got uh, a taste of the new vicky who had emerged as you said i think exploded would be a a better (laughs) but i i loved what you said that he never asked me you've you've consulted with all these experts but what about my opinion right that's what incensed me that he never asked me yeah yeah so so what Keep going. Tell me the story of what happened. Yeah. So, you know, at that point, I knew a couple things. One, I've just bought myself some time. Okay. Because here he's telling me that, you know, I'm terminal and I don't have much time. And I know, I know nothing about cancer at this point. I don't know anything about what he said that I have. I don't know anything about cancer. There's been no cancer in my family. It hasn't touched me as much as it's touched others. And I was in the dark. So what I've done is I bought myself some time. Okay, I'm going to get this chemo. We're going to shrink these suckers. And then I'm going to see where to go from there. And I realized then and there that I was going to have to be my own advocate if I was going to, if I was going to make it. And, you know, and the fight began. Now, you know, for me, I went into a, a deep tunnel vision is what I call it. Because in order for me to fight the way I needed to fight, which was my all, I sort of metaphysically was fighting in my head. So the daily people around me, I was would answer them, yes, no, okay, or what have you. But I was a bit of a robot for two years myself. Mm. And I always felt bad about that because you know, as I started coming out of my trance two years later, there was so many people that did so many wonderful things for me. And of course, I was aware of it all, you understand. I mean, I knew exactly what all those people did and how all the letters I got. I mean, my community put a cooler, a red and white cooler outside my door, made their own list, and they cooked for my family for over a year. I mean, who gets that? Yeah. I don't yeah. know of anybody that that's ever been done. I mean, and I would go out the door every Monday and open the cooler and it'd be filled with all these homemade foods, special stuff that they knew my kids liked. I mean, 
you know, stuff to help my nausea, little mm -hmm. gifts. I mean, just incredible grace. And the community was just so lovely. So I come out of this and, you know, the first thing I want to do is find a way to say thank you. Well, but let's let's go back for a second, because when you talk about this two years of, yeah. of basically, you know, we talk about this in leadership is you have a vision. Oh, yeah. You maintain focus, absolute yes. singular focus on your health. And my guess is during that two years, it wasn't just going inside and trying to heal your body, but it was also educating yourself about this thing that you didn't know anything about cancer and, and learning how that affected you. Hundred percent. I mean, I had to learn. You know, I had to take a crash course, and I had to get extremely creative mm. for a number of reasons. One, I'm taking this crash course on how I can help myself, and I discover a way to. Uh, let me let me back up and say my cancer was all over my mediastinum. Okay, so it was in my my throat, my esophagus the left ventricle of my heart, my left lung, all through my mammary glands, all through my chest cavity, wrapped around my breast, so on and so forth. So the whole mediastinum area, okay? So you have a lot of vital organs I've mentioned. So what happened was everything sort of had to happen in, a, in an order. And I had to do so much just to get to, from point A to point B. Like, for example, as I just mentioned, you know how many and how large those tumors were. So when I went into chemo, the goal was I had to eradicate them 98 to 99% if I was going to be able to move to the next phase, which was a radical mastectomy. Now, that's almost impossible when you're riddled with the kind of cancer that I was and the highly aggressive nature of the cancer to be able to shrink those <laughs> tumors to 99%. Right. But damn, if I didn't do that, mm -hmm. that's what I did. And then I went into the next phase and that was the, the radical mastectomy. And then from there, Johns Hopkins wanted to do photon radiation. Now, photon radiation is the normal radiation everyone's familiar with, but what it is is it's a a, a large blast, and it um, it goes in one air in one way and out the other. So, if they were blasting my chest, it would come in the front and go out through through my back. Right. And there's a ton of scatter with this radiation. So you cannot control it at all. So in a sense, what was going to happen is my heart and lung would be irreparably damaged to the point that I would die of congestive heart failure before I would probably die of the cancer at this point. So I sought out proton radiation and proton radiation is a pinpoint radiation that can go around areas, stop on a dime. It's the opposite. It's very controllable. Now, the key is proton radiation was never done on a breast cancer patient before ever because proton radiation is designed for small areas. Needless to say, why it's the pinpoint radiation. So it's done for prostate cancer. It's done for brain cancers. That's what it was really designed for. 
So did you did you figure this out yourself that you know yeah. based on the the consequences of the blast versus the proton radiation that you say did you go to the doctor and say okay time out here uh, just do proton radiation a million times I mean that's true exactly but the but but there's a lot more to proton radiation than just like pointing and shooting mm. you have to map a whole area um, and, and proton radiation you are suspended high up in, into a beam almost if you if you'd think of a um, a planetarium. It sort of looks like that. You know, not any hospital can have proton radiation because the real estate, it takes up so much. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it, it's city blocks. I mm-hmm. mean, we're talking, this is a major, major thing. And so if you can liken to what a planetarium would be, I'm like suspended up high, like like football mm-hmm. fields high up in the air. And I'm on a very, very narrow table. No, and not you can't strap me in. Mm. So it's it's a precarious situation, and um, and and the mapping that I did was took over two hundred hours of two hundred man hours just wow. to map me, and then they had to take all these molds like you would in like a, a horror movie. You know, mm-hmm. you've seen some of those things on TV, and so I it was in very very important that I got radiation treatment every single day because they would move it from location to location to location you know so let me let me back up for a second because i i it's fascinating on on what went on but i'd like to back up for just a second because how did you get there how did you convince these medical experts okay (laughs) to here you are. You're not a doctor, all right? But right. you do have you do have a BS in communications and broadcast journalism. So obviously, <laughs> big deal, right? You know how to communicate, right? Uh-huh. So you're telling how to. How did you? <laughs> whose collar did you grab yeah. and convince to use this very <laughs> different? Was, I'm telling you, it was the hardest thing ever. Talk the, about that. The, how did you make that happen? Well, the treatment itself, if it's just to give you an idea, the treatment itself was half a million dollars and up. And um, I got denial upon denial upon denial from the insurance company saying it was experimental. I'm arguing with them. It's not experimental. It's been around for, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 years or more. But it's just not been done in this way. But it doesn't mean it's experimental because it was not. Right. You know, it's nothing's going to happen to me. You know, it's a tried and true system. So you, you had to grab the insurance company's collar. This is where, well, you know, I exactly this is the metaphor. Of, okay, I well, got it. Yeah. You know, in, in those days, they didn't have a prospectus and a business plan out there for the insurance companies and say who was in charge and all that. So I didn't have any names or anything, but I did my digging and I found the name of the medical director. Now, bear in mind, I've had five denials at this point. My my mother and my father both put their houses up for collateral and I'm supposed to leave in about a week. And it is, you know, I'm down to the wire and I am just determined not to bankrupt my family. I am just determined. And so I found the name of the medical director behind every good man is a much better woman. So instead of going to the eye of the storm, I went adjacent 
to the eye. And I sent a big bouquet of flowers to the medical director's secretary asking if I could tell her a story. And she called me back. And I sat down and told her my story. And I told her the reasoning of why it should be covered. And the next day, it was covered. <laughs> I love it. I lo- so I mean, we talk, I mean, this show is about leadership, but this is, you have leadership being a responsibility, not a position, inside out leadership. We talk about all these cliches, but you're talking about this in a way that we're talking about life or death stuff here. Yeah. We're talking about big financial commitments that your family is supporting all the way up to the community, making food for you and all these things because they love and they care about you. But it's got so much to do with your determination and grit that you're showing people, I'm going to do whatever it takes, talk to whoever I need to in order to achieve these goals so that I can live. This is, this is life or death stuff. Exactly. And, and there was nobody that was going to get in my way to keep me from raising my children because I knew when I was given that diagnosis, there was no way in hell I was letting anybody raise my children. And that set me off. And from there, I was single-minded. Yeah, yeah. So where are we? You've written this book, I Am The One. And yes, I think I we all understand now because uh, I, I have this picture in my mind of you on this, this slab uh, 50 feet up off the ground in a, a, a football stadium-sized <laughs> place with this proton <laughs> radiation being shot into your body yeah. for hours a day to try to kill this cancer. You know, all of these things that, that, that were about after a doctor tells you, I'm very sorry, but Vicki, go take care of your, 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 your life because your life is over. And you said, no. No way. No way. No way. I wasn't having it. And I didn't yeah. see it. I didn't see it. And I felt like I would see it. I don't think anybody really understands that. I just, I just didn't see me dying. Right. I right. think I would have. And, and when I listen to you talk about this singular focus on your, on your survival, but not just that, it's like the impact that you would have on your children if you didn't survive. So you have all these motivations where you made decision after decision after decision, whether it's about treatment, whether it's financial support from the insurance companies and not taking no for an answer. Okay. So the person in charge says no. And you go to the secretary, I need your help. Yeah. Well, not only that, you know, Hopkins told me that they wouldn't remain my doctor or my hospital if I didn't stay there. So not only did I have to talk the insurance companies into covering this, I had to convince Johns Hopkins that I found a way to treat myself that was beyond anything that Johns Hopkins could do for me and that they needed to wait for me in a sense. Yeah. And, and they did. So tell me what what's the purpose of the book? What are you trying to, what's the message to people today? Well, see, I made a promise to God that if I could raise my children, that I would help women. And when I, when I wrote this book, I was, you know, I, I wanted to have something for my, my children. I wanted them to know how hard their mother fought for them. And I just wanted something, some 
some kind of legacy, some kind of, you know, she was here, you know, she was on this earth. But as I started writing more and learning more, because when I began writing the book, I never realized I had never looked back. You know, your mind is a kind and gentle organ of sorts. And um, I just had no idea of what, to what extent that I had done to get to that point. So I, of course, then recalled the promise that I'd made to God. And I recognized all the things that I did to help me along the way as I was writing the book. Like I made up an exercise for myself when I was, you know, I couldn't move. I, I wasn't allowed to do this. I, my, I was so restricted that, you know, I could barely move. I could just do short walks and that was it. And I was an active woman and it was making me crazy. And so I needed to find a way that I could get that outlet and not break any of the rules, you know, that the doctors had said would be harmful to me. So I created a whole exercise program that is so unbelievably, it's just as much therapeutic as it is exercise. And so I put it on video. And I make it available to people. I, you know, I self-taught myself a, a meditation technique to avoid the, the pain. I, I mean, there's so many things that I did for myself that I have to share with others. So I've been studying this whole past year, taking courses so that I can harness some of that passion. And in making that promise to God, I, I decided to do things twofold. The one is putting together a workshop, a course, which is what I was taking all the courses for to learn how to do that. And I'm calling it, there's more to cancer than your diagnosis. Mm. Because, you know, based on what I've told you today, you can see that I would have thought my worst problem was that they diagnosed me with terminal cancer, but it really wasn't my worst problem. My worst problem was, how am I going to get treatment for it. Nobody wanted to treat me. Nobody wanted to pay for it. Nobody want, you know, that right. was a, really the bigger problem. Right. So what I'm doing is I'm developing a workshop for people that are going into treatment and um, I'm going to keep it small so that, you know, we can have discussion time and that sort of thing. But, you know, maybe 10, 12 people. And for my beta class, I am just going to keep it for women. But um, in this course, you know, there's nothing out there like this today. I'm arming them with all the tricks and all the things that I learned along the way. Because I have to say, nobody probably knows more about cancer than I do. And the, the idea behind that is I'm paying it forward. And then I'm going to ask them to take that information and pay it forward. Because they're going to go into treatment with all of those axes that I had hanging over my head and all those troubles and all that worry of bankruptcy and, and, um, and, and uh, do I have the right doctor? Am I doing the right treatment? All of those questions are going to be answered for them before they go into treatment. So when they go into treatment, they can be rah, rah, total positive. Let's kill the bastard. Let's get it. Let's get it done. That kind of a thing. Yeah. And so the class can be extremely, extremely helpful because an attitude is everything. 
And what's happening is all these people were going into treatment defeated before they even got started. And that's why people were dying. I'm telling you, the stress of it all. Well, absolutely. And, and we, we know that stress is a killer as much as cancer is. Uh, you put the two together and that, that's a that's a death sentence. But hand in uh, hand. I, I, I go back to your original response to the doctor. You didn't even ask me. Right. You know, and, and, and I think that uh, the, the idea here is when with this program that you're putting together and we'll get that information out to people in the uh, mm-hmm. in the show notes so that they know how to contact you on that is to help people understand that we are in charge of our destiny. We are in charge of the decisions and you can help them in these situations. Right. You know, I would never discount the medical community. They were fabulous to me. This is not me talking down about the medical community. So please don't misunderstand. All I'm saying is if I hadn't advocated for myself, I would be dead today. So the importance of that is life or death. Yeah. And so that when I said that I was going to help twofold, the second is I developed a movement. I created a movement. I've got a board of directors. We're putting out a new website for it. And it's called Lunge for Healthcare, a play on the lunge I thought was apropos. Yeah. And um, this movement is solely for helping women and healthcare. I'm keeping it really simple at first and then we, you know, hope to expand, but we're we're just asking women to we're educating women to follow their own instincts when it comes to their healthcare. Follow their gut. Tap into that. So important. And then the second half of, of for the movement is asking doctors to listen first, diagnose second. So when they go into an operatory, they're not looking at codes and trying to fit you into a particular treatment plan that's, you know, cookie cutter. They're going to listen to what you have to say. And then once they hear you together, you can come up with a treatment plan with the knowledge that we've got the medical community behind us, but we also have discussed what our feelings are, what we think is going on, because that in turn is what preventative medicine is all about. And our insurance monies are going up, 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 up. And insurance companies have taken a lot of women's health care out of insurance. And so my feeling is if our movement can we want to take it global. So if our movement can save, you know, millions of insurance monies, then we should at least be able to encourage the insurance companies to put back some of the women's health into insurance. Like for example, um, a mammogram, they're not paying for until you get to be 50. Well, it used to be 40 or less. Well, let's, let's bring it back to age 40 because, you know, I had my cancer in the 40s and I would be dead if I never got a mammogram. (laughs) So these are the things that we want to change with the movement. And this is how I was able to harness my passion and keep my promise to God. Yeah. Well, good for you. uh, If I was your doctor, you'd scare me. So I would do what you say. (laughs) 
Uh, I, I love it because well, that's that's what passion does. That's what as as Angela Duckworth in her book Grit says, it's passion and perseverance, and that's what you have demonstrated here. So I want to finish with my final question. I I have a feeling you're going to answer this a little differently than other people. It's just my feeling. <laughs> And the question is this, is if you could write yourself a letter today and send it back to yourself 25 years ago, what would you tell Vicki, that younger Vicki, what advice would you give her? I would say, don't waste your time worrying about what other people think. That Vicki really worried about that. And I would tell her not to sweat the small stuff mm. and to enjoy life more. Yeah. Enjoy those little things, right? Every yes. day. Don't yeah. sweat the small stuff. I mean, that's key. Mm. Vicki, this has been inspirational to me and I hope other people to a point where they will take responsibility and accountability for their own health, for their own path and work with their medical professionals to really come up with the personal care that will be successful for them and and maybe just like you save their life thanks for being our guest today oh it's my pleasure thank you for having me i'm dr gary making good bosses into great leaders with compassionate accountability thanks for listening to leading from the front where leadership is a responsibility not a position take care be well and be great Thanks for being with us on Leading from the Front with Dr. Gary McGrath. Remember to subscribe to this podcast on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about the work Dr. Gary is doing, visit statarius.com, S-T-A-T-A-R-I-U-S.com. Music for Leading from the Front is provided by Peter Katz. For more of his music, visit petercats.com. <laughs>